For those that don't know me, I'm John David Goins, and I'll be reading from the notes on my phone today, so I'm not texting, <laughs> although I may get an ESPN update or two. So I'm here today to hopefully encourage you in your faith. I spent the last year and a half traveling the world on missions. I've been to 22 countries during this time and done ministry in 20 of those countries. On my first trek, I started in Australia and then jumped over to Indonesia, Sri Lanka, India. And from India, we traveled by train and bus from Nepal to China to Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, and then took a cargo ferry across the Caspian Sea to Azerbaijan, Georgia, Turkey, Spain, and Morocco. And then on my second trip around, um, the next time around was six months, I was asked to lead a group of 17 people. And we went to Japan, Taiwan, Hong Kong, back to China, Mongolia, Kyrgyzstan, and Uzbekistan. The verses I chose today were meant to remind us of two simple things. The first, from Numbers, is the story of Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, which, by the way, what a cool way to be introduced. Um, in his zeal for God, he saw the Israelites falling into sin. He plunges a spear into a fellow Israelite to stop it. God honors that, making a covenant of peace with him and his future generations. There's much more to the story, but for our purposes this morning, I'll stop there. The next verse I picked out was Romans 5.11, which simply tells us that because of what Jesus did for us as sinners, we can now rejoice in our new relationship with God. So the two things I'd hope to encourage us on today are one, living with zeal for God. In other words, living with a passion for Him in hopes of bringing others to know Him as well. And two, to remind us to rejoice in our salvation. What a precious and amazing thing we have been given. Let us not take that for granted. So with the rest of my time up here, I just wanted to share a few stories of faith, some testimonies of my time out on the race. Now I listed down several stories, but as I started to write them out to refresh my memory, I realized that we'd be here all day. So I narrowed it down to just three. My first story comes from my second month on the field during my time in Indonesia. Indo is home to the largest Muslim population in the world. While there, I was on the island of West Java in the city of Bandung. My team and I worked with a school by day and the underground church by night. We slept on the ground, showered with buckets, and you could hear rats crawling through the walls at night as you slept. This for me was total culture shock, but for them it was everyday life. The underground church we worked with would do prophet studies in the evening. To attract people to their studies, they would teach out of both the Quran and the Bible, which was illegal in many ways, to say the least. Many were won to Jesus through this study because it was more than a simple study of the prophets. You see, God's word is living and active. And so anytime you put the Bible next to the Quran, or any other text for that matter, it never falls short. When we read scripture, it's not just words on a page, but rather an opportunity to encounter the living God. And that's exactly what would happen to people in this study. 
I wanted to give a specific story of a lady I was able to work with while there. Her name was Ibu Iis. Ibu is the term for any woman who has had children or grandchildren. It's like a title of respect. So her name was Ibu Iis, and she was the, de- uh, the wife of a devout Muslim man living in a devout Muslim village with their one kid. She had already become a follower of Jesus through this study before I met her. She brought other women to this study and would constantly spread the good news while outwardly maintaining a culturally Muslim identity. She daily straddled a fine line of being found out, which at the very minimum would lead to being outcast by her community and family. Yet she had faith that if she remained faithful, God would change the hearts of those around her. While there, she invited her team out to her village. She threw a huge feast, or they threw a huge feast for us. And towards the end of the night, she took us around to all the people of her village, and she would translate the message of the gospel for us and allow us to pray for them. We got to witness some pretty cool things that night. Yes, God used that night to reveal his power and love to those people. But the real story comes a year later when I was in Taiwan. I got a message saying that God had used Ibu Iis, and her husband has now dedicated his life to Jesus. God used her faithfulness and persistence in prayer to soften her husband's heart. She was able to tell him about her faith and introduce him to the word. Now, being that he is a highly respected man, it is likely that others from their village will follow in his footsteps, or already have. My second story is about two women. One was Estonian and the other Russian. They met at a Bible school in Africa and found themselves called to help trafficked red light district women in Kolkata, India. I was one of two people who had the privilege to work with them during my three weeks there. The neighborhood they worked in, if you can imagine what I described in Indonesia, but add waste, alleys lined with idols, and beggars of all kinds missing limbs and just some sad things. It was a very dark place and heavy. Yet these women, day in and day out, walked those alleys to fight for the souls of those women. It initially took an entire year of these women walking the streets and praying before people would even talk to them. They would try to approach people, but no one would engage them in conversation. And after a year of just walking around and praying, finally they began to break down barriers and began to be able to engage people, be invited into homes, and talk with these women. Fast forward to year three when I show up. My role was to intercede in prayer as they talked to women on the streets and to be a bodyguard of sorts for these women if men tried to approach. Our first Sunday there, me and my friend were able to attend the church they put on for these women. Normally, they have about 10 that will come. But this particular Sunday, in a room about the size of this table, and that's not a joke, maybe a little bit bigger than the size of this table up here, they held church service. On the third anniversary of their time there, the number tripled to 30 women and children. We were crammed in this tiny space right above the red light district with no AC in the heat of summer, which I would probably compare to Arizona heat. I've never seen a group of people more passionate in the way they cried out that day. With so much pain going on in their life, they were filled with so much joy in their salvation. Finally, the two girls gave a simple message about the good news. 
and we had a few give their lives to Christ that day. It was absolutely beautiful. My final story today is a more recent one, taking place just this past June. It was in the country of Uzbekistan, which, yes, is an actual country. I didn't know that before. It's nestled between Afghanistan, Tajikistan, and Kazakhstan, and it's a beautiful country with a beautiful culture. At the time, I was leading a squad of 17 people. This Uzbek country was not on our route, but a month prior to our time there, we discovered that they had changed their border policy. What used to be extremely expensive and subjected to scrutiny for Americans was now 20 bucks online for a tourist visa. Through a friend of a friend, we had heard that in the wake of the new border laws, Christians that had been under heavier persecution were now coming back out of the shadows, and the gospel was starting to reemerge. I was able to pull some strings and have half our squad rerouted into this country to partner with our friend of a friend. We ended up being connected with a man running a house church in the city of Samarkand. When our team first arrived, him and his wife moved out of their house, uprooted their family, their kids, and moved into a crammed house with friends just to offer us a place to stay. They had expressed how many years they had been praying for a team of people to come and help them and how in need of people they were. And we were the first to answer that prayer. One evening, they invited us to a prayer and worship meeting. Thinking we were going somewhere around 5 p.m., we were ready early. Come to find out, it was actually from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. Our new friend picked us up and drove us to the middle of nowhere, to the point where we started to get worried that we weren't coming back. It turned out it was a prayer meeting with all the local leaders of the underground churches. They had joined together in secret to pray over their city and their country. We go into this locked and padded room, and before we begin to worship, they note to be sure that if we leave to go to the bathroom, because the bathroom's outside, that we make sure the door is sealed, nonchalantly referencing the possibility of all of us, if we're heard, being sent to jail. That's normal life for these people. Every day, knowing they might land themselves in jail, yet committing to lives of ministry. I'm convinced it's God honoring their faith and prayers that have brought these new border policies, literally creating new avenues for the gospel to reach their nation. I've learned so much on this journey. Each country has challenged and grew me, grown my faith in numerous ways. Our God is living and active. He is moving all over the world. And I got to see a little piece of that in each new country that I went to, as well as experiencing cultures all over the world. And I wanted to thank you guys as the church congregation. Many of you have prayed for me over the last two years or supported me financially. And y'all have been just as much a part of this journey um, as I've been. And so thank you so much. I'm now back living in Texarkana. Um, I just recently got my own place. This morning I poured a bowl of cereal and realized that now I'm the adult and I have to buy milk. <laughs> and I didn't have milk. Thankfully, my parents live next door and I still know the garage code. So I got milk. Thank you guys.